So, um, what should, how should we start this? What should the introduction be? Idea. We do this thing where we start like telling kind of a funny story and the music kind of like slowly saw, begins to fade in underneath. And it's kind of like leading up to an obvious like punchline of a joke or something. And then the punchline lands and then right after the punchline lands, like our voices cut off and the beat drops in the song and you get the do do yeah thing. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Sounds kind of kind of terrible, honestly. <laughs> like Come top on. ten worst ideas. <laughs> All right, but is it is it worse than the time that you got stitches in your head from when I hit you with a golf club? I would absolutely have stitches in my head again and get hit with a golf club again. Welcome to Dead Ball Brothers, a show, a podcast about soccer, history, and with a healthy dose of stupidity. My name is Adam Whitaker Snavely. I write about soccer for The Athletic, amongst a few other places. With me, as always, is my real-life brother. I am Drew. Drew Snavely. You are Drew. Professional Manchester United fan and top 100 of The Athletic's Fantasy Premier League. Thank you once again for joining us. Credentials uh, on lock. Yes, man, I really crushed that. Cannot be questioned. I am, I am really excited about that intro. You're killing so, it. Yeah. Um, you guys are here with us once again. Thank you if for being with us once again. If, if you accidentally got here, um, just keep on listening. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe don't stop. Maybe listen to the whole thing. And then rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, that would be ideal. Which we finally got on. Yes, we are we are on everything. <laughs> Wonderful. It, it took us a little while, but we got there. We, we made it to the promised land. The Apple overlords opened their arms finally, and we entered through the pearly gates of uh, podcast dumb. It was a win for the people. <laughs> Dude, shouts out to the people. <laughs> shouts out to the people. <laughs> Let's talk about the Women's World Cup. Before we get into story time, which Drew has a story for me today. Ooh. Yes. Going back and forth, but uh, before we go, before we get into that, before we get into the little history aspect, let's talk about something that's happening. Let's talk about the Women's World Cup. Drew, the United States Women's National Team nearly made fools of us twice. Oh man, <laughs> it was so close. I we nearly thought that we were going to have to delete our first podcast uh, because on the last podcast we talked about how there was no way, essentially, that the United States women was going to lose to Spain, and. What do they do? Surely enough, they almost <laughs> they almost lose, lose to Spain. Spain. So, ah, of course. The commentator's curse, some would say. Uh, that but, was such a frustrating game, yeah, too. That was tough, but we uh, we gritted through it. Uh, got got some generous calls from <laughs> some referees, um, and we lived to fight another day. Uh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> mm, 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 mm. We don't have Lip- to open that can of. That can of beans, if you don't want, we can. Uh, you know, we can skip right to the France game because the can of beans is similar there. Yeah, it is. It is pretty close. I will say that going into the France game, I said to myself and also to you and to a couple other people on the internet, if Jill Ellis does that thing again, where she doesn't start Lindsay Horan, aka the best player in the world, probably. <laughs> The U.S. is going to get pasted by France's midfield. It's usually a bad idea. 
What does Joel Ellis do? <laughs> Roll out the same exact lineup that nearly crapped the bed against Spain. You all thought that Jill Ellis was saving Lindsay Horan from picking up a second yellow so she couldn't play in the in the France game. Well, joke's on you. She's just incompetent and didn't play <laughs> her best player on the team. <laughs> joke's on you. Jill Ellis is about that life. I Jill mean, she, Ellis is ride or die. She certainly mixes it up. I'm not saying that it's like a good thing that she is ride or die, but she is ride or die. Oh, goodness. Goodness uh, gracious. The U.S. Women's National Team beat France, which by our tone, it doesn't sound like it. You all probably know that now. Um, but that was a uh, that was a comfortable game that quickly turned into a very close game, which is kind of what happens when your game plan from the outset is we're going to let them have the ball. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, a bold tactic from <laughs> the best team in the world to um, completely change up your game style and concede possession um, just because you think that France wasn't planning on having the ball. What was wild was that Jill Ellis was like, I don't think they want the ball. And I'm like, <laughs> are you kidding me, fam? They definitely they definitely did want the ball. Yeah, they definitely don't want the U.S. to have the ball. It's usually how it goes. And honestly, like, we're talking about this knowing that the U.S. won. Megan Rapinoe scored two goals. I will say this. They did make a couple of nice little tweaks to help free up Rapinoe a bit more. Um, the first goal, a little fluky, just went through a bunch of people's legs, including Amandine Henry, uh, pouring out for your girl. Mm. Uh, but, uh, the second goal was definitely like a result of France possibly with some tired legs from the long game with Brazil, possibly just being in a really, really hot environment. Cause it's like a crazy heat wave in France right yeah. now. Um, record temperatures, but they definitely, uh, it was, uh, Kim McCauley from, uh, SB nation. Yes. Before the game was basically, it was like, this game sucks because France is going to get to the 65th minute and just run into a wall. And then in the 65th minute, the U S counters. Yeah. Tobin Heath does one of the only things I see her do in the entire game. In the, in the entire last two games, Tobin Heath really like had like, she had, the one assist against France. Against Spain, she won the penalty. Yes. And yes, those are did. the only two things that I can recall Tobin Heath doing in both of those games. Yeah, she hasn't done and anything. And really. this is and this is Tobin Heath is my favorite American soccer player. Oh, she is the sauciest American on the team. It hurts me deep inside <laughs> to say this. Tobin Heath has not been doing well this tournament. Yeah. At least not the last couple games. And Jill is still playing her, so I don't know. But all that to say, freed up Megan Rapinoe, U.S. goes up 2-0, and that's when France finally started testing Alyssa Nair. Because if there's one weak link on this U.S. women's oh, team, yeah. it is Absolutely. definitely Alyssa I Nair. Mean, all tournament, it's been really shaky when she has been tested. We didn't really see it the first couple games, uh, but we saw it against Sweden. Um, that's uh, We saw it definitely against Spain when... It was mainly her fault for the for the goal that the Spanish players scored. Yes. Um, but, yeah, she is definitely the person that you want to try to exploit. Um, there was this moment where it wasn't even when France scored, but France put in a free kick, and she went out 
And as soon as she went out, I was like, you're not getting anywhere close to the ball. And she did this jump, and it literally looked like she was waving at the ball as it was, like, going <laughs> going over her head. Yeah. Uh, man, uh, free tip to all you people out there. Uh, if you want to uh, test the U.S. Women's National Team, put some shots on frame uh, because that seems to be the surest way. But the U.S. Women move on. Yeah. I think that's a good segue into the, the upcoming match against England, uh, and specifically when talking about testing Nair, because uh, you you were talking about how England shoots a lot, and they will test her. I think England play England can play a little bit more direct. They have a few people that aren't afraid of, of unleashing some bangers from distance, specifically shouts out to Lucy Bronze. Lucy Bronze, the truth. Um yeah, I I think that if England can make this a little bit more direct and a little bit more of a track meet, that that ultimately benefits them. I think that England does not win if they turtle. Like, if they just, like, turn into a shell and, like, let the U.S. attack and attack, Yeah, I don't think they win that way. Uh, I don't know, maybe. It's, sometimes it's hard to tell. And also it depends on if Lindsey Horan is playing or not. If Lindsey Horan is not if, – if Jill Ellis trots out the same lineup once again – We're going to have – Actually, turtling is not that bad of a – not that bad of a, a tactic because the lack of, like, incisive passing when the other team is in defense was really noticeable. I think that Rose Lavelle specifically – Rose Lavelle has had, a, has had a good tournament. She has. But specifically the little bit towards the end of the first half and the second half, Rose Lavelle was not good in the midfield. Yeah, uh, she wasn't strong, and it was actually a good sub to to take her out and, and bring in Lindsey Horan, even if Horan should have been in the, in the game to begin with. Um, and here's my I thing. Would, if you want to play Rose Lavelle, Rose Lavelle plays winger. <laughs> yeah, it, it would be nice to, to see um, Lavelle out in um, Tobin Heath's position to, to start next match. And yeah. That way you can have Mewis... Uh, Ertz and and Haran starting in the midfield yeah. while still having Lavelle, who's had a, a really good tournament. She didn't have a great game against France, but it was probably the toughest opponent. opponent yes, absolutely. Face. Not to say that England are pushovers. They're, no, definitely they're a not. Very good team. So, but I think it's I think it's fair to say that France were the best team outside of the United States in the tournament. Yeah, that game definitely felt like a final. It did, and I think that if we see the same starting eleven next game, they're are going to be riots. I hope there will be riots, and people will be asking for Jill Ellis's head. Um, well, speaking not, of not people, necessi- <laughs> speaking okay. of people asking for Jill Ellis's head, <laughs> yes, let's talk about Phil Neville real quick. Phil Neville, your boy Phil, my guy. <laughs> He's not really my guy, but I mean, you're the Manchester United fan in the room. Yes, I Phil Neville, the soccer player. If you can separate the two between Phil Neville. <laughs> Just as a person. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no Yeah. Um, Phil Neville went on record as being displeased with Jill Ellis and the entire United States Women's National Team organization when two operational staffers of the U.S. women went to go check out the hotel that the U.S. women would be staying at if they were to win the semifinal for England and advance to the final. That hotel is the hotel that England happens to be staying in right now. And Phil Neville 
was pissed. Now, these people are not players. They're not coaches. They're not scouts. These people are literally the people that, like, lay out, you know, like, they, they set up meeting rooms. Hospitality. They, they like, book flights and yeah. make sure bus things are in order. And, like, all the things that, like, you, you don't want your team to think about. And he raised such a stink about it. He's like, you know, I think this is a breach of etiquette. You know, this is, I don't think Jill Ellis should be happy about this. England wouldn't have done this. To the point where Jill Ellis was asked by Eat Media if that was American arrogance, having two operational staffers go to this this hotel that they might be staying in to yeah. check it out, to see yeah. where everything is. To which Jill Ellis promptly replied, no, because we also sent two people to go check out the hotel that we'd be staying in if we lose this game and have to play in the third place match. And just with the stuff that Phil Neville has said so far in this tournament, it almost makes you feel like he has a contract with the Sun or some publication <laughs> to stir up as much drama as he possibly can to sell stories. Because uh, you could definitely see... I feel like I could see something like that happening. Um, it feels like Phil Neville might have voted yes to Brexit. Oh, oh, he probably definitely... Phil Neville Brexits. He Brexits. <laughs> uh, oh um, gosh. Well, all that to say... I think that the U.S. walks in more comfortably favorites against England in the semifinal match. Um, any hotel shenanigans aside, uh, it's still going to be a tough game. England is a good squad. Definitely one of the top three or four squads in England or in Europe. Yes. Um, but I don't think that this should be as big of a test as playing France in Paris is. What, uh, tell the people your, your prediction. Your prediction for the game. Prediction for the game? Yeah. Two nothing US. Two nothing US. Two nothing US. A shutout. You think I, even when they're testing Nair? I I think that Ellis sees the light, and that Lavelle and Haran get switched, and that the US puts in a couple early and can kind of see out the rest of the game, because. I don't think England has as many dynamic attacking threats as France does. Yes. And uh, outside of, I, I think that if England scores, it's going to be either an absolute banger or an absolute horrible mistake from the U.S. Yeah, and I mean, it's World Cup, so you could see something like that happening. It, I mean, it happens sure. all the time. Sure, I mean, in, yeah, in it happens all the like time. This, but, yeah. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say 2 nothing U.S. Okay. Uh, Thoughts? Scores? Yeah, I'd probably say three one. Um, the just just because it's still a still a two goal differential, but I think that I think the U.S. will take care of business, uh, like I said they would against Spain, um, and they did that less convincingly than I than we both anticipated. They but certainly did. <laughs> I don't know. I think they'll be coming out of this France match brimming with confidence, and hopefully they're not overconfident to the point where they underestimate England. But I don't think that they will because, as you pointed out to me the other day, England has played the U.S. very closely the last few times yeah. they've, they've they matched just, up against each other. I, I think the last time they played each other was the She Believes Cup in March, and they tied 2-2. Yeah. yeah. Um, of course, the last the, the last couple of years has been a lot of heavily Jill Ellis testing out players and formations and stuff, and it's different when you get to the World Cup. And... 
if anything, Jill Ellis's teams have shown that they can play clutch in the World Cup. I mean, nobody thought that Jill Ellis was a very good coach in the 2015 World Cup either. And there was definitely some wins that were like squeaked out. That opening game against Australia that they had in the 2015 World Cup was was yeah. a very, very close game. Yes, it was. Um, and they kept getting better as the tournament went on. And then all of a sudden you see them in the final against Japan just pasting them. Carly Lloyd scoring from half field. Yeah. Oh, man. That was incredible. One last thing about the U.S. Women's National Team. Okay. Is Alex Morgan healthy? Oh, my goodness. I When I saw her in the starting lineup against France, it was almost like you're thinking, yeah, she needs to be out there. She's our best striker. But also at the same time, you know that she's not 100%, or you're pretty sure that she's not 100%. She yeah. hasn't looked 100% for the last couple of games. Um, yeah. She definitely looks like she, she is nursing injuries. Um, and so, I don't know. It, I feel like it would have been nice to to see somebody else out there to start and maybe bring her on later if we need a goal. Um, and that, that way she can have more time to recover. Especially when you have Carly Lloyd, Mal Pugh, Jessica McDonald all sitting on the bench. Yeah, they're all world class. All like, of them. All these people can play this position. Pick one of them. <laughs> and I think that a healthy player, one of them, is better than her Alex Morgan. Even if Alex Morgan, healthy, is the best player or the best striker on this team. Which yeah. I think that she is. She is. But I don't think she's healthy right now. She did some good, like, hold-up work here and there. Yeah, she, she helped. Did. She helped facilitate some of the attacking flow, but she is not a scoring threat right now at all. Yeah, she played about just as well you'd expect an injured player to play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she did enough to, to help the U.S. get a victory. And so, I mean, since the U.S. won, nobody can really look back at Jill Ellis and be like, this, was, this is all on you. <laughs> if if the U.S. had lost, it would be a different story, and they'd be, probably be playing the blame game a little bit more. Hey, maybe you should try one of your healthy world-class forwards instead. Um, but I don't know. It would be nice to see her get some rest and be healthy so that she can be the world-breaker that she is when she's fully fit. Yeah, I mean, the U.S. is spoiled for choice. They literally have a world-class forward playing left-back for them right now. So yeah. It, it just this tournament I think really goes to show how right now that there is still a talent gap. We talk a lot about how the talent gap and the the, the coaching gap and all these things in women's soccer has shrunk yeah. over the last several years. But there is still one because I don't especially now that the US has beaten France, it's hard to see another team that is as complete as this US women's national team roster. That doesn't mean that Jill Ellis can't still possibly screw it up. Yeah. But it feels very, very deep from top to bottom. Yeah. Like, you couldn't make too many wrong decisions with this team. But Speaking anyway. of wrong decisions with the U.S. team, <laughs> the U.S. men's national team plays Curacao tonight. Yes. Tonight, probably in a, a couple hours, uh, or no, about an hour and a half now from when we're recording. So you'll be hearing this, and the result will already be decided. But they will be playing Curacao! Oh, man. Our, our Caribbean... Caribbean. Our Caribbean uh, friggin' Jim Burtson Vapor. Jim I'm talking Zeus de la Paz. I'm talking mother friggin' Jafar. (laughs) Jafar Lopez or something. Jafar Arias. Uh, Jafar Jafar Arias. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Curacao. Curacao 
shocked us all. Shouts to them. We said beforehand, transitive property, they're still probably pretty decent against Jamaica. Yes. And transitive property worked. They tied Jamaica 1-1, last second. You love to see it. 30-yard stunner. You absolutely do love to see it. absolutely love to see it. Now they're playing the United States on the heels of last night, Haiti coming back from a 2-0 deficit down against Canada and winning 3-2. I'm talking Caribbean renaissance. Our Caribbean kings. In the Gold Cup 2019. Yes. I actually ran a story about it on The Athletic. Um, Check it out. Check it out. (laughs) The long and the short story is that a lot of the, you know, a a big part of the struggle of being a Caribbean nation is just getting noticed and, and like, being seen and having the opportunities to play these types of games, which you only got at the Gold Cup for so long because – Qualifying for World Cup qualifying was super hard for a lot of Caribbean nations outside of Jamaica and Trinidad and Tobago. Um, and the Gold Cup was kind of like a little bit easier to get into and get those matches against teams like Jamaica, teams like the United States, teams like Mexico, Costa Rica, etc. And now even Canada, because Canada has a really good young squad. Uh, Jonathan David playing 19 years old, playing for KAA Ghent. Yeah, I, I don't know how to pronounce that team ever, but in yeah. Belgium, obviously you have Alfonso <laughs> Davies, Bayern Munich, Bundesliga goal scorer. So like, Canada has a good has a has a a lot of exciting, really young talent, and then a lot of veteran defenders, especially in Concacaf, people like Atiba Hutchison that you expect can handle these things, and they did not. Haiti Haiti raced right by them, and <clears throat> with some very impressive goals too. And you're going to see more Haitian teams, or more Haitian teams. You're going to see Haiti more as well. But you're going to see more Caribbean teams playing these teams because the CONCACAF Nations League is starting in September. Yes. And so you'll see uh, Haiti and uh, Curacao and even more teams like Bermuda uh, be playing in, in, against teams like U.S., Mexico, Canada, uh, Honduras, uh, Trinidad and Tobago, Panama, all these kind of traditional powers, a lot of the North American teams, a bunch of uh, Central American teams. The Caribbean is on the come up, and you're going to be seeing a lot more of them. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I think CONCACAF has been begging for, for more drama and more competition because forever it was it's just been two, three, four teams maybe that are, are competing near the top. Yeah. Uh, but nowhere near like uh, Europe where you're seeing I don't know, 12 teams that are incredible. Absolutely. That are all very close to the same level or not too far off one one another. And a, and a greater increased level of competition in CONCACAF is what's going to save the Gold Cup too since – FIFA seems to be doing away with the Confederations Cup, yeah. which was kind of the big deal that made the it was the thing that made the Gold Cup a big deal for the U.S. and, and Mexico specifically, um, since they are the ones that have won it every single year except for 2000 when Canada won. Um, winning the Gold Cup got you into the Confederations Cup, a bigger, cooler tournament against bigger, better teams. Um, that's going away. You don't have that anymore. So. What good is the Gold Cup to the bigger teams? Well, if it's actually like feels like a real cup competition against really, really good opponents and not just I'm going to stomp everybody until I get to the semifinals, that's, there's value there in, yeah. in just the competition itself. Absolutely. So, yeah, shouts out, shouts out to them. Yeah. I think the U.S. still beats Curacao tonight because 
Um, the U.S. seems to have been putting it together on the attacking front. Yeah, they have. Um, I expect to see Christian Pulisic put a couple people on a highlight reel. It'll be awesome. Uh, Jossie Zardes will probably score five. Ugh. And... Uh, Further cement his place as the starting striker the US for number the number one, I guess. I don't know. I think that Josie Altador... Josie Altador looked a little slightly off the pace against Panama. He missed he missed one sitter. Yeah. Um, he had a keeper make a really good save on him, and then one sitter. But then he comes back and he yes. notches a bicycle kick, which wasn't like, you know, like the most impressive. Bi- it wasn't like the Wayne, Wayne Rooney, Rooney <laughs> corner kick bicycle kick. Uh, but it was like he did what he needed to do, get the ball in the back of the net. And I think that if you put better players around him, because he was playing that whole game without Christian Pulisic, without Tyler Boyd, uh, without Weston McKinney on the field. Yeah. So I think that the standard of attacking talent around him also can make him better because he is a better player with a ball at his feet than Jossie Zardes is. He just is. Yeah. There's there's no that, two ways about that. Just full stop. Just full stop. <laughs> Jossie Zardes has feet made of cinder blocks, <laughs> and Josie Altador's touch is a little bit better than that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for, for the game tonight. Um, I think that it'll be a really cool opportunity for Curacao. Um, I think they'll play him close, too. Yeah. I don't expect this to be a blowout. I think the U.S. will win, but I don't expect it to be a blowout. Yeah, this is Curacao's first ever appearance. In, in the knockout stages. In the knockout stages I mean, of the, the Gold Cup. The, it was their first goal they scored in the Gold Cup against Honduras. Yeah. Or we'll go in a little about the history of Curacao for the story. So oh, will we? We'll, uh, we'll hear a little bit more about them. That so. sounds... Drew, that's... That sounds like a, a transition to me. That, that does sound like a little transition. So listen to this pretty music for a little bit, and we'll be right back to tell you more about a story that I know nothing about. Welcome back, we ladies and gentlemen. We are back, and I have a story for you, Adam. Drew, I would be delighted all right, well, I would, I would, I would be delighted to listen to your story. That that sounds that's good with me. Uh, I I hope that you find it interesting and that all of you lovely listeners also find it interesting. Because uh, today we are going to dive in a little deep on the history, the origins of soccer on the small island of Curacao, uh, our favorite Caribbean uh, island. We love those guys, my sweet precious babies. Oh man. Those guys are awesome, and they're currently killing it in the World Cup. We in talked the, in, in the Gold Cup. I mean, yeah. World Cup, Gold Cup, Man, tomato, there, potato, as they say. There's a lot going on right, right now. I apologize to you guys. Can I just say that right now I'm in a really great spot because yesterday I released that article talking about how, like, Haiti and Curacao are better than you think that they are. Yeah. And then Haiti came back. To beat Canada. Yes. And so now, if the U.S. wins, cool, the U.S. won. But if Curacao somehow beats the United States tonight, I look like a genius. It's a win-win for you. I'm, you, a, I'm in a good spot. You've, you've been tooting that horn. I have you're, been. You're tooting your own horn, which, I'll, I mean. I'll toot it till the cows come home. Oh. That's, yeah. That's what they all say. They say that. Everybody says <laughs> I that. I hear they say that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's get into this story. Um, So, as mentioned on our previous podcast, in episode one, Adam described Curacao um, and how they are, it's an island part of the Caribbean, but it's just north of the coast of Venezuela and part of the kingdom of the Netherlands. Um, It's a country within the kingdom 
Um, I say Kingdom of Netherlands, but everybody just calls it the Netherlands. That's what it's commonly used as. Is it still technically name. called the Kingdom it, of the Netherlands? Legally, they are the Kingdom of the Netherlands. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, so, yeah, That's not cool. Not, not super great. Um, but it really isn't. How is that still a thing? Hey, uh, I if mean, the English don't, the English don't even call it the kingdom anymore. It's the Commonwealth. Well, you have the United Kingdom. Yeah, but that's the people that voted to be there. <laughs> True. Like True. Scotland's gonna vote themselves out any second if they do actually complete the Brexit. Yeah. If Phil Neville gets his way. If Phil Neville gets. <laughs> yes. So yeah. The Kingdom of the Netherlands. Continue. Yeah, the Kingdom of the Netherlands. Um, so it actually wasn't until 1909 that the first soccer club, which was called CVV Republic, was established on the island of Curacao. Nice. Uh, when only 25,000 people inhibited it at the time. Inhibited. Inhibited. Inhabited. Inhabited. Inhibited, That's, inhabited. It's yeah. inhabited. It's ha inhabited. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the popularity of soccer there began to grow amongst the young people due in large part to the, the friars that not only ran the churches, obviously, but they also ran the schools. And they would always, they would always be encouraging these, these young people to go out and play some soccer. Uh, just for kicks and gigs? Just for kicks and the gigs. The Lord loves the soccer? The Lord loves the soccer. All right. According to those friars. And so actually the first match that CVV Republic had was played in the garden of a church because there wasn't an actual soccer field. All right, that's kind of dope. So I, the friars went out, they they cleaned up the field, they mowed it, and that the CVV Republic played um, a group of Marines from the Kingdom of the Netherlands, and that was that was the the CVV Republic's first ever match. That's. I'm trying to picture that. Like the the friars ref like I don't, I don't know it didn't I mean, give too many specifics. Also, are if the friars are from are they like are the friars like actually like Dutch people? Are they actually from the Netherlands? Do we think? Or? I'm, I'm assuming they're probably from the Netherlands. Okay, they're probably from the kingdom. So they're spreading the uh, the joy of total football. The Lord's work. They're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> they're doing the Lord's work. Oh spreading, man! Spreading the good word this of is, soccer. This is already uncomfortable <laughs> on a lot of levels. Okay, um, all right. So we're actually going to be doing a, a fast forwards throughout throughout the story because that was 1909. Yeah, uh, when everything was going on. Right. Uh, the the birth of soccer, if you will, on on Curacao. 1909, which 1909. was only a few years previous to the birth of the Dick Kerr Ladies FC. For all you OGs out there that watched episode one. If you haven't listened, check it out uh, as soon as you're finished listening to this podcast, if you so desire. Gucci gang. <laughs> so several years later in, in 1921, Curacao's um, Football Federation, Soccer Federation, for, sure. for those Americans out there, absolutely, uh, was formed to be known as, and I'm probably going to butcher this because it's like Dutch, um, Nobody speaks Dutch well, except for the Dutch. It's the Cura Kaus Voitball Bond. Okay. Otherwise known as CVB. That, sound, that sounded pretty good to me, honestly. I, I said it a lot in my head over and over. and <laughs> I had a lot of practice on this one. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, yeah, and I wanted to make it sound as, as best as I possibly could. And so if there are any uh, 
native Dutch speakers out there, I'm sorry if I completely murdered that. <laughs> um, maybe you can drop into our mentions or something and, and, and correct me. Yeah, but follow us first. But follow us first. So that's when their, their first soccer federation was formed. Okay. Moving forward to 1926, Curacao's first national selection. So national selection is when you, you choose your team of players to, to compete in, in a group of games or just right. one game. Uh, and they competed in a tournament in Haiti, and that was their oh. first ever tournament. So that that's pretty cool. Everything ties together nicely. Everything ties together nicely. What year was that? That was 1926. Okay. So, All right. so we're moving so along pretty fast. We've made it like 15 years. We've made it. We've made it about yeah, 15, 17 years, doing math. That's crazy. That is crazy to think about. Like that. Like there was like teams like Juventus and stuff that were already like basically famous at this point world beaters yeah and and other other elsewhere there was people that were just playing like their first ever like international match yeah i mean obviously there is a lot of economics behind the that thing and well access yeah to, i mean <laughs> and that's resources and, and that's and that's the case too like there was a there's this big thing with guyana at the gold cup right now where they're they're like over and over have been thanking their government because their government foot the bill for them to travel to the U.S. for the Gold Cup, because yeah. their federation doesn't have that money. Oh. Like, and and that's and that's the case with a lot of these a lot of these teams. Like, when you get into these some of these like really really tiny islands, you like Dominica, Montserrat. Yeah. Like, there is not like exactly a ton of cash to go around for a lot of these things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, it just depends on the country, I guess. Yeah. So, anyways, moving forward, um, in 1932, so six years later, CVB, CVB became a FIFA affiliate. Okay. So they could finally com compete in, in qualifiers and tournaments yeah. that were sponsored by FIFA. And um, actually, in 1941, Curacao competed in their first ever uh, CCF, at the first ever CCCF championship. Yes, that was the, uh, the what is it, Confederacion de... Central Amer... Central Americano y Futbol de Caribe? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Del Caribe de Football? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. or something like that? It's a lot. Yeah, it, it basically was the thing for the Central America and the Caribbean before CONCACAF Conca existed. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, North America... North American teams also had something similar. Um, it was like NAFU or something like that. <laughs> like North American uh, Football Union. NAFU is definitely a bottom tier acronym. <laughs> <laughs> you are literally one letter away from SNAFU, fam. <laughs> oh, goodness. So in, in that championship, uh, it only consisted of a few other teams, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, El Salvador, El Salvador and Panama. Okay. Um, and Curacao finished third uh, out of those teams. So, th wow. so they did pretty well for themselves. For your first tournament? Yeah. Yeah, there were only six teams there. Especially since, yeah, I mean, like, in a couple of those teams, I mean, like, Costa Rica has been, like, the, the Central American power forever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't dig too deep on into their respective I'm, I'm fairly certain that they have won the most CCCF because I also gotcha. I looked into some of the CCF history for the the thing that I just wrote about Haiti and Carousel. Yeah, I'm pretty sure 
that Costa Rica has won the most of them. Cool. So maybe they won the first one ever. I don't know. Maybe so. All I know is that Curacao came in third guys, place. Curacao came in third place. Hey, so let's go. Yeah. Moving, <laughs> moving forward, uh, five years later, 1946, the CVB held an international tournament to celebrate 25 years of existence. Nice. So, doing pretty well for themselves. They brought in a few different teams from, from all around the world, like I said, and the most notable team to compete was actually uh, Feyenoord. Oh, from, yeah. From the Dutch League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. from the, the Feyenoord, Eredivisie. Uh, Rotterdam. That's... That's actually like I mean like obviously you have the the Netherlands connection yeah them being a, a colony of the, of the kingdom of the Netherlands yeah, the kingdom <laughs> as as we have learned but that's a, that's a pretty big deal yeah. like Feyenoord Feyenoord's no, a they, big club at, at the time Feyenoord was I mean they're one of the Dutch giants if you will I yeah mean, probably not as big as Ajax but yeah I mean they sure never, I don't know um, <laughs> but anyways Curacao actually won every single game in that tournament including Feyenoord who they beat 4-0 what the heck they stomped <laughs> them okay yeah so all right that, that is wild and so after after that international tournament it was actually only a few few uh months later the Netherlands actually brought the Curacao national team over mm-hmm. and they competed in nine games against Dutch teams over a, uh, a three-week span. Or, yeah. Okay. So, so it was a certain amount of time. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, um, they, they had a tour. Yeah, which the biggest game, they had kind of created a little rivalry between Feyenoord. Right. Be- beating them for You beat now. them as, yeah. as literally, like, you are the backwater yeah. of... of the world and you you beat a big european club yeah so it was a 3-3 draw it was it was a cracker of a match (laughs) (laughs) was phil neville commentating (laughs) Uh, i get all my notes from him so it's kind of embarrassing no i don't actually get my notes from phil (laughs) phil if you're listening to this subscribe and rate us (laughs) but it was a huge game. There were 37,000 fans there, which at the time was slightly less. It was a slight less amount of people than the people that were currently living on the island of Curacao. Oh, my God. There was, <laughs> there was as many people in the stadium uh, as it was the about, people. Yeah, it was about the same, which, is, which is crazy. Uh, and, they tie, and they drew 3-3? They drew 3-3. It was, it was a massive game. Um, I am so, wildly impressed. Yeah, it was apparently incredible, and I couldn't find the the number of inhabitants of Curacao at inhabitants. the time. Inhabitants. Inhabitants. You got you, inhabitants is a different word. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> bear with me, guys. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um. So yeah, this was a really big time and yeah. time for Curacao soccer and their national team. And it actually gave way to a a star in the making from Curacao, who would later become one of the the greatest to ever play from from the country. Okay. And so his name is he was 19 years old. His name is Ergilio Hato. I was 
hoping that it might be Jim Burt uh, Vapor, <laughs> Jim, the father of Jim Burtson. Jim Burtson. <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, that would be... All right. Yeah, so Urhilio Hato, which... Or Hato, which if you're familiar with Curacao in the country, you will recognize his name in different places. Be, that's how big he got. Oh, they, yeah. He, they named some things yeah, after, after him. Totally. And so... Uh, he would later, he would soon become known as El Pantera Negra, which the Black Panther <laughs> translates to the Black Panther. Oh no! Uh, okay, All across right. Central America and the Caribbean islands, uh, he, he he was incredibly talented. Right. And so I mean, the nickname is is a fun one, and he Did is we... the original Black Panther. I I was. <laughs> I was looking back to see if there was a nickname before, be, uh, before him, and when like the comic books were published, the, yeah. the Marvel comic books, and Wakanda Forever, Wakanda Forever, and uh, our guy, our guy, he was the first one. He was the first Black Panther. Be, didn't they call Eusebio the Black Panther too? Uh, for Portugal, yes. He was he was later. He was he was he uh, was 12, he was in the sixties. Twelve or thirteen years later. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, Urhilio Hato, the original, the OG, the OG Black Panther, El and then Negra. after that, the uh, the commentary on animals that match your melanin level uh, became less and less kosher as time went on. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. That's that's the way it goes. Yeah. So the 19 year old at the time actually would have been drafted for military service. Oh yeah. If, if the CVB had not hosted that international tournament mm -hmm. at the time, here we go. And so, as a result of that, he lays the foundation for what eventually become his his legacy. Yeah, as Curacao's greatest ever. Player. And you have the time honored tradition of not making your your star athletes go into your mandatory military service. Looking at you, South Korea. <laughs> <laughs> If, if you're from Curacao, you're Curacaoan. Okay. If I'm pronouncing that wrong, again, I apologize. But from the spelling, that's what I've that's, come to the that's conclusion. That's what you've gleaned. That's, that is what I've gleaned. And so the Curacaoan goalkeeper, it, his style of play was described almost as if it was stolen from... An analysis, a lazy analysis oh, of no. Romelu Lukaku. <laughs> oh no! Uh, with him, with it being noted as him having great athletic abilities Yo. and amazing jumping power. Uh. Yeah, you hate to okay. see it. Yeah. All right. Okay. In fairness, I feel like at that point, because we're talking like what, like 1930s, 1940s. Yeah, 1940s. Pretty much anybody that's good at that point is like, it because we're talking like pre. Pele, we're talking pre-Garincha. Yeah. Like, the people that are good at the game at this point are the people that can jump the highest. And, and like, it's not the most technical of games worldwide. Yeah. So, it maybe might not be as lazy and racist as it is now. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I, can't, I mean, like, not, not, to, not to be like, oh, like, we should cut these people some slack. <laughs> we totally shouldn't. They called them Pantera Negra, yeah. and they was in the kingdom of friggin' Netherlands. Yeah. 
but maybe it was slightly like a more accurate description. Yeah, possibly. We you you'd hope so. You you like one, to hope the best. One would hope. One one would hope. So, with all that being said, uh, he was actually an incredible goalkeeper, and some say one of the the greatest goalkeepers to ever play. Okay. And he helped Curacao produce a ton of results for a federation that was less than 40 years old at the time. Yeah. And so, actually, Urgilio, our guy... Urgilio. Urgilio, he not only played goalkeeper, but he was a useful outfield player, too. Yes. He played forward. My favorite... My fav- you know uh, Rogerio Seni, right? Yes. The Sao Paulo goalkeeper yes. that took all the free kicks? Yes. Dude, my absolute favorite. Yeah. And so he he played forward quite a bit when he wasn't playing goalie. When he wasn't playing goalie. Yeah. His best uh, he, position. He's a man of all trades, really. He in the in the nineteen fifty three CCCF championship, he scored a brace against Nicaragua in an eight nil win. And a brace against Panama, a brace is two goals yeah. for for those that don't know thanks i, I forgot that there's some people that might not know shouts out to mom <laughs> thanks mom he scored a, a brace against panama in a thrilling 4-2 victory uh as a ford so i mean that guy was it like a he started the game in goal and depending if they needed some more firepower we're like all right you're pl- you're playing up so he actually was a regular penalty kick taker and he would take some penalty kicks as a goalie which is pretty crazy. That's a that's bold. That it, it is bold because <laughs> if you miss, you're you got to sprint back. <laughs> Good brother. luck with that. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't care how much pace and power the newspapers say you have. <laughs> that's a hard one. Yeah, it is. It's tough. It's it's a long long distance. Oh. So with all the re- with all the attention that he received from his international play in, in these various tournaments, yeah, he actually received offers from from big clubs, including. Which is also not surprising. Dutch Giants, Ajax, go crazy, and Feyenoord, Rotterdam. Absolutely. But he also received an offer from Real Madrid. How did Real Madrid know about him? I mean, he was. I mean, he was. He was playing not only in the CCF Championship, but he also played in a World Cup. Oh, they made a World Cup. They made a World Cup. Okay, that's pretty dope. So it was. That yeah no that would make more sense as to like being able to see the person yeah he actually missed a penalty in the world cup oh, versus no. uh, i can't remember who it was but it was against a team they were down one nil oh and no. it would have tied up the game but you know it is what it is cest levi as they say do you want to take a do you want to guess where he went what club he went yeah to? What, yeah what club he went was to? it one of those i don't know maybe did he go to fanord no, he didn't go to Feyenoord. Oh, no. I was hoping that you would say one of the ones that I mentioned, because it wasn't. <laughs> it actually wasn't a team that I mentioned. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> well, man, what a... G- it was his local club. <laughs> C-R-K-S-V, Jong Holland. Oh, man. Okay. He turned down all those clubs to play for his local club. Hometown he, hero. He didn't... He refused to play professionally. Because his local club wasn't a professional team. Oh? And and it was basically because he wanted to pursue his career in the airline industry. And so... Oh, wait, 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 wait. 
the airline industry. <laughs> yeah, he it, he was uh, an avid fan of aviation, <laughs> and so he he turned down Real Madrid so that he could work for <laughs> ALN Antillian Airlines <laughs> and raise a family. Okay, all right. I get, which is like I get raising a family, especially yeah. in a time when like you can't, you probably can't just pick up your family move them to Madrid, at least not at first, definitely, if you're this guy. But, like, wanting to fly some planes, like, you probably speak Dutch. You could go fly some planes in the Netherlands, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, he definitely could. But, hey, he, um, the family was important to him. Okay. So, so he turned all those guys down. Oh, good for him. And so That's wholesome. Yeah, shortly after our guy's reign, or Hilio, Hato's reign, uh, Curacao was soon under the Netherlands Antillian Football Union from 1958 to 2010. Okay. And so, so the like the Lesser Antilles, yes, and Curacao. The, they all they all competed together, and uh, they would compete in a tournament, and then whoever won that tournament would represent the. Uh, the NAVU, which is what the acronym was. The NAVU. The NAVU, if some <laughs> some would say. Um, and James Cameron's avatar <laughs> would say. <laughs> yes. And um, they would compete under the name Netherlands Antillian Football Union. Okay. And so that all went away in 2010 when the Netherlands Antilles disbanded, um, and those lesser countries curacao and another country became countries within the kingdom and then the other islands just became absorbed into the kingdom they're not their own they're um, not their own thing they're not their own country got it so love it when people don't govern themselves yeah yeah so that was that was the end of curacao's national team from 1958 to 2010 but then in 2011 the ffk which is curacao's current soccer federation was brought into existence in 2011 2011 we've jumped we have yeah we've, we've jumped we've made it far we, we have made it we are almost the present and so now both fifa and Concacaf recognize curacao to be the sole successor of the navu meaning that they get to compete in all of the in all of the FIFA and CONCACAF competitions and they actually get to um, they got to take the FIFA history and CONCACAF history of the NAVU which oh. is important for standings yeah and claim it as their own and claim it as their own oh. so with all that being said um, Curacao is currently performing well extremely well the best yeah. that they ever have in, in the gold cup um, in, in their current, in, in their current, in their <laughs> current form. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, they've they've only been around for for nine years, or eight years in in their current in their current federation. Yeah. And so, um, they're doing pretty well for themselves, ma- making it to the knockout stages of, of the Gold Cup. And uh, to end to end this story, Curacao's home stadium is. Stadion Urgilio Hato, named after 
the Black Panther himself. I hope that every time they have a game, you get that wow. The <laughs> yes, give me the Panther scream. Yes, um, and also a side note: the the Hato International Airport is is named. Oh, after also him. named after him. Yeah, <laughs> just named it after everything that he loved. Yeah, doing 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 what he wanted to do. I can't believe he turned down Real Madrid. Yeah, it, it is it is shocking to say the least. So, with all that being said, <laughs> go Jim Burtson Vapor and Zeus De La Paz. You've stolen my heart. Just don't steal my girl. <laughs> the end. I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> I'll have to apologize for that. Oh, man. But that, that is the end. That oh. is Elphine. Elphine of uh, the history of Curacao. The birth of soccer in a in a country, so it is just uh, started by a uh, by a couple priests with nothing to do. A couple friars. A couple yeah. friars. Which, you know, basically like a priest. It's like kind a. Of. I imagine a friar is a priest but fatter. That's yeah. all. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's. I don't. Just eating on grapes. I don't day. know. Yeah. I don't know the actual distinction, but every time I see something. Or somebody portraying a friar, they are inevitably fat. Yeah, they're always fat. So yeah, that's kind of weird. But that is that is all that I have as far as the story goes. Wow. So, Thank you. Yeah. For I, the uh, the story on uh, Curacao and uh, Elhirio, Hato. Erhilio. 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 Hato. So yeah, he is a legend, and you guys should look him up. There's a book that's published in Dutch so it's kind of hard to read so good luck with that and you have to buy it too so uh, I didn't get the chance to read it yet but I don't know maybe one of these days I will and I'll just use Google Translate or something yeah I've heard that Dutch is like harder to learn than like English is yeah, which is probably terrible which is which sounds like we have the word cooperate in our language imagine yeah. imagine explaining that to any anybody and then having a language that's harder than that to learn yeah I, I cannot imagine. But anyways, thank you guys for listening. Absolutely. Uh, since we've been talking and, and doing this, we found out that uh, Jossie's artist is starting tonight for the United States national team. So um, with that said, my name is Adam Whitaker Snavely. And I am Drew Snavely. <laughs> this has been the Deadball Brothers. Please, if you would be so kind, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. We should be now everywhere that you get it. Uh, we are on Apple Podcasts, which means that um, other podcast catchers like Overcast um, and several others, uh, Pocket Cast, um, that all just pull from the Apple iTunes list will have our uh, our episodes populating now. Um, we're also on Podbean, we're on Stitcher, we're on Spotify. Uh, and uh, yeah, if you would be so kind, if you like it and you want to see and hear more of it, uh, go ahead and give us a, give us a, a subscription. Give us five stars, please. Five star. Give us. Tell us something uh, funny slash insulting. Honestly, you can you can insult us all you want in the review section as long as you give us five stars. Five stars is is probably the most important. In thing. fact, please do insult us in the <laughs> review section, provided you give us. We five believe stars. that it would enhance the the listening experience. If you are involved. giving us four stars, constructive criticism. Three stars, <laughs> I don't care what you have to say about us. But five stars, insults only. 
<laughs> that's that's the way it's gonna roll. Also, you can follow us on uh, social medias. We are uh, Deadball Pod pretty much everywhere: Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook. You can also find us by just looking up Deadball Brothers. You'll know it's us when there's a you see a golden skull with a bunch of pink text that it looks exactly like what you would be listening to right now on the screen of whatever device. Yes. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, we're probably going to drown our sorrows of uh, United States men's national team fandom here pretty short-like, uh, but it has been a pleasure once Always again. A pleasure. And uh, we will catch you guys next time. See Until then, see ya.